This is Eric Bradlow, professor of marketing and statistics here at the Wharton School. In today's episode, you're going to hear us talk about the NFL draft. Uh, one of our co-hosts, Cade Massey, talked about it always almost makes sense to uh, trade down. And we're going to talk about the Chicago Bears and all the draft capital they got for trading down. We're going to talk about the uncertainty of the top picks in the draft. Then the last part, we're going to talk about golf. And, you know, do you get, you know, I'm a momentum guy, so we're going to talk about the hot hand in golf. Do players go through hot regimes? So we hope you enjoy this episode of Wharton Moneyball. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball here on SiriusXM. Coming to you from the SiriusXM Business Radio Studio in Huntsman Hall, Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania, West Philadelphia. That means we're live. That means we're in person. That means we're on professional equipment. All kinds of benefits today. This is Cade Massey hosting this episode of Wharton Moneyball, and the whole crew is in here, and the whole crew is in person. Shane Jensen in the familiar seat to my right in the familiar Boston Red Sox cap. Eric Bradlow to my left in uh, reliably pen-labeled sportswear. And Audie Weiner, not fresh off a bicycle, but actually rather dapper today. And that's not something we always say about Audie Weiner. <laughs> no, no, you shouldn't say it. It wouldn't be true if you were to say it. But uh, didn't didn't bike in today. That was a curious well, set of you, you added a little life expectancy, Audie. We appreciate. I did. We appreciate that. In the, like the seventh or eighth decimal place, gentlemen. What has caught your eye in the world of sports? What well, for me? What's caught my eye? I mean. There's a lot of action going on in the NFL, and it's really around quarterbacks, which is where it always starts with. I mean, I just the first thing that caught my eye was this, I thought, a brilliant trade on the part of the Chicago Bears. I mean, they have Justin Fields. There's no reason to believe Justin Fields couldn't be as good as any of the quarterbacks that were in this year's draft. Uh, he certainly showed something. Uh, you know, I'd be interested, obviously, Kate, given your experience with the draft, they traded the number one pick for two number ones, two number twos, and DJ Moore, who's a recognized All-Pro. That seems like a pretty good haul to me. Um, it's not even obvious that the number nine pick in this year's draft will be much worse than the number one pick. And if you add the fact that they don't need a quarterback, and four quarterbacks are being drafted ahead of them. You could argue they're going to get the fifth best other player, assuming they don't move up. I just think it was an absolutely great trade for the Chicago Bears, and I, I, I said I agreed with them. Why wait? They got a great offer. Take it. They can start planning now. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, th- I think it's also it's relatively low risk. I mean, they got a great haul, and I mean. You know, they're kind of obviously it's it, to do that trade. It's it's an acknowledgement that they at least believe Justin Fields could be the answer for them. And even if he's not, they're going to have a, if he's not the answer, they're going to have a high draft pick again next year. And so, you know, I, I mean, it's sort of they they know that they don't need a quarterback immediately. And I think that trading down in a situation where you don't have an immediate need a quarterback is is. You can always make an argument Especially for that. in a year with four quarterbacks ahead of you, which essentially gives you the fifth pick. Yeah. So let me ask it a question that puts it on a, on a numerical basis. You're, you guys are paying attention to the fact that they don't need a quarterback. The four quarterbacks are going to go ahead. Therefore, it's an opportunity to get extra value. How about just equilibrium value? What is two first-round picks, uh, all-pro signee? I mean, what is, what is the value of this trade just straight straightaway equality without any specific need? How, how does this rate? 
Uh, so I haven't priced it out. So that this, it's priceable depending on how you value draft chart, how you value you know draft position. Um, so what's what's true is that a, a lot of people have run these curves. And one of the things that's been lovely as a researcher is, you know, we worry a lot about replication in social science. And this is something that has really been replicating well, I'm proud to say. Everything looks like it has the same shape that we came up with however many years ago it was, 15, 15 plus years ago, except for quarterbacks. Quarterbacks aren't you – know, what we always find is that the value of the, the picks increase as you go through the first round, which is not what you'd expect. You're supposed to have the most valuable pick at the top of the first round. But with QBs – they actually do decline a little bit. The value is higher at the very top. So it does depend on what you're going to spend them on. But in general, I'm sure this thing, I, I don't I don't know how the thing priced straight up, but I'm with Eric in that from the Bears' perspective, the first pick in general, the first pick is the most valuable pick in the draft if and only if you trade it. If you use it, it's not the most valuable pick in the draft. Now, if you use it on a quarterback, that's the best you can do. But when you can trade and get that, that much draft capital, it is almost always the right thing to do. Can I just uh, follow up? Is there variance on that? I mean, every, I mean, you're oh just talking gosh. about average. So if is there a particular year where the first pick is going to be so much but more yes, valuable? Yes, definitely. The, variance, the surprising thing is that the variance goes in the wrong direction. You're kind of putting a cap on the surplus you can get because of how expensive those guys are. Yeah. So it's this weird thing where you often want variance, but you're locking in what you're what you're paying, and they have a hard time outperforming, outvaluing that, and so your variance is actually downside variance. Yeah, and I mean certainly we've seen Not over the last like, decade that like assuming you want to take a quarterback at the number one pick, um, the variance or sort of the uncertainty in the success of that is tremendous year to year. I mean you know Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, you know those years uh, uh, the number okay one with, pick you was okay obvious. With, uh, Baker Mayfield. You okay with uh, you Jameis Winston? Mm-hmm. Those no. were number one of course overall picks in no, the draft. I mean, yes. you think about the Baker Mayfield year. It was Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, and Josh Allen. Only one of those really worked out in kind of a level no, that would justify a top five No, no, pick. But, but but we kind of knew there was a lot of uncertainty in that year, didn't we? I mean, no one was saying no. Baker Mayfield was going to be a the, sure thing. I mean, think n- about... No, no, the, no, 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 no. The uncertainty was which quarterback to take, but right. what they, that was because they were all supposed to be great. And then in the end... Yeah, you're right. He wasn't a consensus number one. It wasn't like Luck or Manning. That's true. But it wasn't one of these not a good draft year kind of But years. But, Adi, this year, let's remember again. I'm just going to listen again. Besides, there's Jameis Winston. Kyler Murray, I think, was the overall number one pick in the draft. Well, you know, the jury's still out on whether Baker Mayfield. So all I'm commenting is, the, I'll use Cade's words, the one guarantee is that them trading down. Look, you could make an argument. You would take Justin Fields, given what he's shown already over many of the quarter of those top four quarterbacks, and the fact is they got an all pro receiver and two number ones and a number two. So I'm just and two twos. I'm just saying it seems like an obvious trade to me. So, so let me let me give you let me give you a simple way to think about it. We ran the analysis, you know, we ran fancy econometrics and then we ran some super simple statistics, but my favorite study was to look at historically all the trade downs out of the first round for two for one. So imagine if you have the first pick, all the different two pick bundles you could get for the first, for the second pick, all the different two pick bundles. And then comparing historically, how would you have done if you had held that pick or traded down for the other two, given all the possible two picks and just comparing how often you would do better by a couple different dimensions. One's just career starts, so you're not looking for necessarily Pro Bowls. But then consider the other one. What about Pro Bowls, if you're really looking for the stars? And by both dimensions, it's a dominant strategy to trade down. 
Of course, of course it is. That's that's. That, I'm not disputing. I'm wondering how often does it happen that you are in one of those years? Uh, is it a Manning luck year? Did we know that in advance? Are we looking at Manning luck going backwards and saying, "Of course," or did we know no. that in advance? Andrew Luck, we definitely did. They, te- I mean, the, the the suck for luck campaign was very active was the active. entire previous year. That that now on Manning, Manning, the answer is no because that was the Ryan Leaf year. Yeah, correct. And he wasn't was actually some, taken. There, and they were one and two, and there was, was some debate. there was some debate about that, which is you know stunning. And so I'm, I'm asking kind of almost a historical question. How frequently does someone like Andrew Luck come around where we just know he's high expectation and low variance? I don't have that confidence in any of the four quarterbacks that are coming out. I mean, Bryce Young was great in college. He's five foot ten, two 200 pounds. So I'm bigger than Bryce Young. You're bigger than Bryce Young. I don't want to get hit by a 350-pound man. And I don't, I'm just saying, you ha- at some so, point, so you have to say the possibility of him being small Besides line things batted, besides speed of the NFL, just there hasn't been a wildly successful five foot ten quarterback. Well, so that's a hundred percent. There's a big risk on that. To answer Adi's question anecdotally, Manning and Luck are the ones people throw around. Um, you'd probably say your boy Trevor Lawrence is close. Yes, he mm-hmm. was. Um, yep. And then but, going back the other direction, you'd probably go back to John Elway maybe in 83. 83, 98, when did Luck come out? 10 or so? That sounds right, 9 or 10. But was Marino not? I can't remember if Marino even was. With Trevor Marino Lawrence. was the Elway year, and he was the um, last of the first-round quarterbacks. And this is what this is the yeah. That's what motivated our study is that the order, the 88, 88, 98, I mean, 98 is painting. 99 rolled around, and people talked about draft draft as the best quarterback draft since 83. But they hadn't learned the lesson of 83. The lesson of 83 should have been, you don't know which of these guys is going to be best, because 83 started with Elway the first round, started with Elway, ends in Marino, and in between is Todd Blackledge, Tony Eason, Jim Kelly's in there. Oh, and who's the Jet? O'Brien? Ken O'Brien. O'Brien. Kenny O'Brien. Those guys were undrafted before Marino, and yet they're sitting there in 99 saying, this is the best quarterback since 83, without having learned the lesson of 83, because they were sure they knew who the best quarterback was going to be in 99. There was a big debate in 99 about who the next quarterback was going to be, but there was no debate on who the best one. Do you know who it was? Tim Couch. Tim oh, yeah, Couch. that's right. Tim Couch. <laughs> Brown legend Tim Couch. Yeah. So is a lesson from this that we just can't forecast the value of a quarterback coming out of Largely. college? Largely. And it's not exclusive to quarterbacks. We do better on quarterbacks than we do on other positions. Well, I don't know about that. They're so much more valuable when we hit. No, and I mean, I, I yeah. think you want to make that. To, it's it's kind of like the statement that GREs are not or like SATs are not predictive of college performance. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a truncated Looking at group. a very right. truncated... It's, it's, right. it's so, so yes, we can evaluate quarterbacks yes. coming out of college, but you get far enough into the tails, and I don't think it's oh, That's the point. I mean, this is called... This is, and people think way too much of their top picks. So, right, so, Adi, also, Adi, let me give you the first statistics, we, the first stat we ever ran to even decide whether to do the study. We had this question about whether we want to do this research. Let's collect one data point to see if it's worth pursuing. That question was, what's the probability that a player is better, a player at any given position, is better over his career than the next player drafted at his position? Which is sort of what teams are doing when they're trading up for a guy. They're saying, I, you know, we've got three guys are going to go in the next. We, we need a cornerback. A these three guys, we've got to have this one. We can't wait for these other two. So, so do we get a chance to play before you tell us the answer? Yeah, what do you think? The pro- <laughs> so you can say over the whole draft, or I can, say, I can tell you over the first round. So I, I, my guess is that 
only the first Maybe, two or three positions has there any substantive difference in in that probability? Let's say across, the first versus the second, the third versus the fourth. At across, a given position. All, at a given position. I'll even give you a hint. The average distance between positions is something like eight picks. Oh, I see. So we're looking at the at the uh, difference between the, the two positions. Uh, I would say that same that, position, two sequential guys yeah, taken two, at that uh, position. But one to two, two to three, all of them, all of them, yeah, yeah. all of them. Well, on average, I would say that advantage is probably barely bigger than fifty percent, and would not not statistically significantly different. Fifty-two percent, yeah, yeah. I was going to fifty-five. So and we, not, we, not we called, sure. we called yeah. that better than the next guy. The stat is better than the next guy, right? And then, but the real question That's would be nice if, <laughs> if the, the person goes number one, where is that? What's that? Well, and the, I would guess that that's probably much higher. For sure, that right One tail works that way. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you the first round. What do you think it is in the first? Just exclusively the first round, which is going to be you know the top two, three guys at a position. 55%. Yeah, I'd be in that neighborhood, Y'all are too. good at this game, 56. Yep. We are I mean, good at this game. I mean, higher. So, so that's, you, we are you, good at shrinking towards 50%. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and so the obvious intuition here is that people making those trades don't think that they're just buying 2% or 6%. They feel like they're getting mm-hmm. much more than that. Well, look, if we want to change sports a little bit here to another good sport, I mean, so Scotty Scheffler did it again. Yes. So he won the the Players' Championship by five strokes. He's now back to number one in the world. He's won, look, he's won six times in the last 13 months. I mean, Tiger's best year, I think he won eight or nine times. Six out of 27, I think. It's yeah, just, so six you, out of 27, which, you know, Tiger Woods, look, Tiger Woods did at, that for 20 years. He won 25% of the tournaments he competed I would, in. I would, you, know, you know that in detail. I was remembering 25%, was 25%. But, I, but I didn't remember over how many how many years or what period years. of time. But My also gosh. the other thing about Scheffler, but just here's another thing. Scheffler has gone into the final round leading seven times. Do you want to guess how many times he's won out of those seven? Six? Three. <laughs> Three. Now, the reason I was contrasting yeah. that, this he oh, was two tiger, and four. Tiger, tiger. Tiger. So here's the number for Tiger. Uh, Tiger's gone in 44 times with the lead to the final round. What do you think his record is? It's like probably 40, 40 and four or something. Yeah. 42 and two. Yeah. Okay. So Scotty Scheffler has already lost more times than Tiger did his entire career. Yeah, going but what's into- how many times margin. does Tiger come back to win? Well, let me. Uh, well, I will tell you because that's where Scheffler signs, apparently. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. Uh, I just think it's amazing, though, how this guy has been on a thirteen-month heater. I mean, he's now one because he, you know, look, a lot of guys bunch their wins. We've talked about golf; you get locked mm-hmm. in your swing, you get bunched. He's kind of spread his out now. I'm not. I mean, he won. The, let me just say, by the way, he's only one of I think it's seven players now in their entire career who's won the Masters and the Players Championship. I mean, no, I'm saying there's only seven players that have won those two tournaments. It's like, you know, Nicholas, Woods, Palmer, Mickelson, Scotty Scheffler. I mean, he's basically had a Hall of Fame career. He, I think he's a Hall of Famer right now. He's Good close. Good Lord. So you're, you're elevating the TPC into interesting territory. Most people consider it the fifth major. How long has it been around for? At least 45, 50 years because Since we Nicholas were kids, won right? it. Yeah, it's been around. Okay, I, so, I think yeah, right. the first so. time it was in the 60s. I know Palmer no, won it. Nicholas won it. I thought 70s, the latest. Because I know Palmer won it, maybe in the first one, 73, 74. Don't you remember when it was such a big deal that the Island Green was created? I feel like that was in our, in our not just, just our I, lifetime. I guess I'm shocked by that seven number, I guess, more given it's been around so long. Because if you've picked any two ma- majors and looked at the number of players that have won both of them, is it really like, I, I, I would have assumed that number was kind of was larger okay, than seven. Okay, so this is a good argument for it not being 
in the same category as a major because it probably has a weaker field than the majors. So like the international guys, I'm guessing, don't play it as much as they play the Masters. Uh, I was, or I'm the sorry, Open. I apologize. I was off by a year. 1974, 74. not 73. 74 yeah. was yeah. the first year of the players. Hmm. So it's older than Shane. And it used to be. Uh, Just true. barely. Just yeah, barely. But, and it, by the way, the thing they did, which, which the uh, players love, it used to be in September. It was the end of the yeah, year championship, right. and they moved it to March. So in some sense, it kicks off the quote-unquote major season. Okay. Same age as me. How many golfers out there have won by the Masters and won me over? It's probably <laughs> less than even seven. I don't know. It's Tiger and Jack Nicholas, by the way. It's two. <laughs> two. 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 Okay. Either That's way, I'm just, I, I'm just thrilled for Scheffler, and he just looks great. Look, he has to be. I know... He has to be the favorite in the Masters. He has to be. He's the defending champ, but he has but to be the favorite. But we have other guys on heaters. Like Rom. people have thought of him. He has been on a heater. The same kind of heater, right? I mean... Rom was on a very concentrated heater. So Rom was really good for about two months, but had about six months where he didn't well, win. And Maverick, so, I don't think I don't even think he had a bunch of top tens. Scotty Scheffler, I mean, all of his success has been in the last 13 months, but it's basically he's been winning like in bunches but like in separate bunches so you're sort of you know to the extent that we consider anybody a favorite going into the masters whoever the favorite is each year going to the masters do you would you kind of is there like a mixture grouping where it's like obviously tiger when he was the favorite actually won at a crazy clip relative to kind of baseline the baseline of even whoever's the favorite has got to be pretty low is where's scheffler in the kind of He's probably not a tiger level where it's like you you would actually give him a, a quarter chance or whatever, but he's probably not at the baseline well, of what favorites do. Kate doing. can probably tell us what the Masters odds are right now. Well, I'm not. I can't quite do that, but I have gotten a little data to get inform the Rom Scheffler thing we're talking about. Data Golf is a great source to go for these things. They have these beautiful, interesting, uh, seemingly rigorous rankings and interactive tools. We talk about them a lot. Just going straight to their rankings. Rahm and Scheffler are within a hundredth of a stroke on the strokes gained ranking at the top of the list. So Scheffler, Rahm is at plus 2.62 versus the field per round, and Scheffler is at plus 2.61 versus the well, field per round. Well, let me tell you, shockingly, so I'm looking at the Masters wow. odds right here. I'm shocked by what I'm reading. Scheffler's third. I'm shocked. Shock. Scheffler's third. Because Rory is probably in there. Rory's second. Yeah. So Rahm at plus 700. McElroy, 800, and Scheffler plus 1,000. So they're getting 10 to 1 odds on Scottie okay, Scheffler. Can, can let me jump in here. I've he- heard a lot of talk about momentum, Eric. Yep. I've heard a lot of heat talk. He's hot. Is it, uh, I, you know, in baseball, we don't believe in it, at least. Uh, is is golf a sport where it's accepted there's heat? Yes. Uh, and, and by uh, here's you, you take this as your greatest um, standard, and that is would you bet it, and they do. So in okay. the models, there's a fair bit of non-stationary because it's known that momentum matters. It's not even momentum. It's basically non-stationarity that says guys are in these regimes. And you can see it. You can see it in the data. You really can see these regime shifts, and they get they just play at a higher plateau for a while, and then they drop off. And so, for example, we talked about Morikawa was in this in a couple of years ago. And I mean, you could if you go to the Data Golf page and start digging around, you can actually find these plateaus. It's neat. So anyway, good, good fun. But I do th- – I mean, that, Eric, we have to be careful because – on jumping too quickly on Scotty when we just saw Rom there and then the whole time the whole time McElroy hasn't been on this kind of heater but in all the rankings all the quant models he's right there with them yeah so I'm still I'm still going to ride the 
not momentum horse, the negative one, he hasn't won a major in eight years. This has to be weighing on him. He's yeah. been one of the best golfers in the world. Everyone was predicting he was going to get 10, 11, 12 majors. He's been stuck on four. He's never won the Masters, and he hasn't won a major in eight years. Despite That's leading, shocking. it's shocking for a player of his greatness to not have won a major in eight years. I'm still carried, you know, asking about the momentum here, and, and which is in the moment. When when uh, Cade says they bet it, are they betting against it? Because I usually the price, the markets tend to over overprice in momentum. That's, that's so a, do they bet it backwards? I mean, what are they doing? Oh, that's a great question. If you were to model the market, does this show even more non-stationarity? I, that's a question for Rufus that I don't know. And because always, you know, it's always uh, you know your model versus the market's price, and it's fair. It's a fair question. Uh, all I know is that the that their models, which are trying to accurately give the most likely, include a fair bit of non-stationarity. All right, guys, that has been another Wharton Moneyball here on SiriusXM. For the whole team, Audie Weiner, Eric Bradlow, Shane Jensen, this has been Cade Massey. Thank you guys for listening. Come back and join us next time. Between now and then, enjoy your sports. Enjoy your sports.